Hey, fellow explorers, this is Matthew Gray, and on the latest episode of 50 Tastes of Gray, I had the absolute pleasure of chatting with the incredible Jocelyn Walters, one of the two brilliant minds behind the Walters World YouTube channel that has over 1 million subscribers. Imagine meeting a favorite friend and an amazing travel guru for the very first time, and that's exactly what it felt like to be with Jocelyn. Known as simply Jocelyn on Facebook, she brings a globally inspired life to her community. We delved into her passion for her children, travel, we savored tales of Normandy oysters that she loves so much, and we geeked out over art, architecture, culture, and the beauty of life. It's not just a podcast episode, it's a rendezvous with a friend you never knew you had. I asked her what it's like to make Whoopi in all the countries that her and her husband Mark visit while filming for Walter's World, and her response was hilarious. So join us today in unlocking the wonders of the world with the amazing Jocelyn Walters. If you want to keep track of me and 50 Tastes of Grey, please feel free to visit my website at lovelife.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show with Jocelyn Walters. Well, Jocelyn, at long last, thank you so much for joining me on 50 Tastes of Grey. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what have you eaten today? Um, I had an egg sandwich. It's just two eggs. And I put like some cilantro and, um, some cheese and some hot sauce between two eggs. Um, that was my breakfast. And I had some mousse tomato cuja. Um, and that's all I've had for lunch so far today. So. Oh, wow. Was the egg sandwich on a bagel? Nope. It's a sandwich of eggs. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Way to go. High protein. Yeah, exactly. Well, I went to the gym this morning, so I needed an extra kick of, of protein. I did eat some carne seca too today. So Oh, well, that sounds good. And what's on for the menu for the rest of the day? Um, you know, I'm not really sure because after this, I've got like 20 things happening this evening. So it Mondays usually end up being um we take our son to uh drum practice. And we often just go grab something while we're out. Usually, um, like I really like to stop at Barnes and Noble and, uh-huh. and they have, you know, they have a cafe and they have these great little quiche kind of things. Usually we grab one of those or something. So oh, Mondays nice. aren't, Mondays aren't usually good cooking days for me. So did you say Monday is drum practice for the boys? Yeah. Our, our youngest does drums on Monday. Now, is that rock and roll drumming or is that for school type drumming? Um, Funny enough, um, it's just rock and roll drumming. And he's been in drums for like four years and they won't let him join his um, school drum thing unless he knows how to play piano, too. I'm like, it's I, I don't really understand that. It's not like he just wants to get in there and bang around. He actually knows what he's doing, but they won't allow kids to play drums unless they can play piano. Another oddball equation when it comes to the educational world, right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) How do you divide your time up between successful YouTube channels and having a family that you want to be able to take care of? And of course, taking care of yourself. What what is that all about? You're just your time. (laughs) Um, Mark and I often during the school year take turns traveling. Um, Sometimes we do take trips together and, you know, grandparents come and stay or, you know, things like that. Um, But generally speaking, we take turns so that somebody's always with the kids. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, it is, it's definitely juggling, you know, I mean, we just, we try to plan our trips out ahead. We look at the school schedule and things like that. As soon as we get a school calendar, we're already marking it up, trying to figure out where our stuff is, you know? So yeah. um, it's tough when you travel. Um, we, we try not to take real long trips during the school year. And we do t- definitely travel during um, school vacations and just drag the kids along. How has your YouTube channel, which really does revolve around travel a lot and food and so on, which we'll talk about later, how has that been affected by the kids growing up during this past, let's say, decade or so? Well, in the beginning, they loved it and they participated and they thought it was great fun. And that, especially with our now 16 year old, that kind of fell by the wayside, you know, um, it's not cool, right? Like he doesn't want people to know who we are or what we do as far as um, the YouTube stuff goes. Um, Maybe when we hit a million subs, he'll be excited. I mean, apparently 950 isn't enough for him. So. Oh, that's so funny. It's coming soon. You know, it's pretty wild the way the kids are. They're connected at the hip to mommy and daddy until a certain age, then they don't want to be near you. They don't want to know from you. And then we all finally realize that mom and dad were right. Yes. They'll find it eventually. We just yeah. sit back and wait for it. So how do you plan your trips knowing that you know, <laughs> he's not really into it, the young one is, and how do you really go ahead and do that? So we're just careful about, I mean, we, we take a lot of B-roll as we walk around. You know, Mark will just have the camera up and, or a phone or whatever and things that interest us, right? Um, or things that people need to know about. And so we get a lot of B-roll. We try to make sure that he's just not in them. I mean, we respect his wishes. You know, occasionally he'll pop in like in the background or something like that. Um, But generally we just try to respect his wishes and not have him in that. We don't put like um, on our Instagram and stuff where our kids are, Liam's in there occasionally, but our our eldest is just not. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, try to respect that for him. Yeah. And Mark does a lot of his big filming, like when he's ready to like do the big, like the don'ts of Paris or whatever, he gets up and goes in the morning, partially because the city's quieter, you know, there's less stuff going on and he can really just plunk the camera down and do a whole bunch all at once. And so he does that in the morning while the kids and I take our time getting ready and you know, because our trips aren't exactly like a normal person's vacation because well, one, we travel. We're not just there to relax. We're never there to relax. So he does the work stuff first um, early in the morning, and then we'll go out, um, the, all four of us, and explore and, you know, soak up the culture and the food and, and all those things afterward. When it comes to the food that's all over the world, I guess you've been to be maybe about 100 countries by now. No, I'm not. Mark's, Mark's a lot closer to that number than I am. Uh-huh, <laughs> um, uh-huh. I, I think I'm somewhere in the sixties. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I have to always kind of check, um, somewhere in, I know I've surpassed 50 quite some time ago. Um, that's kind of like, that was the benchmark, you know, and I haven't hit a hundred. So I'm somewhere in between. Um, yeah. So the food, I, we just enjoy it. I mean, we eat a lot. (laughs) How could you not, you know, you must Mm be, uh, really, able to discern different flavors and tastes and textures and aroma and color and all that. If you were to take the best 
few countries that you can think of, where would you say that your food specialties are? Um, for what I like or what I like to cook? Uh, for, well, let's start with what you like, what you enjoy. Um, probably Greece, France, Italy. Um, those are my top for visiting and eating. Ethiopian food is one of my favorites, but I've yet to go to Ethiopia, but I'm getting there. I mm -hmm, promise that's mm -hmm. going to happen soon. Um, and surprisingly, Peruvian food. That was um, another place that I really enjoyed the cuisine. So those those are like my top five, um, generally speaking. For and the people who haven't been to, let's say, Italy or France or mm -hmm. Greece, how would the foods that you find here in America differ from the actual places? Freshness is a big part of it, uh -huh. particularly when I think about Greece. Um, my family's Greek, and so I have a lot of, um, I make a lot of Greek food. I mean, I grew up cooking Greek food, you know, um, and theirs is all very, very fresh. I mean, there's a lot of fruits and vegetables, tons of them. Um, and it's, you know, like you get octopus and it's literally they getting octopus is quite, it, it's quite a thing. I've done it once. Um, and it was amazing to do on my own, but, um, they literally pull it from the sea and you eat it that night, you know? Wow. Um, so it's never frozen and then unfrozen and sitting in a, in, you know, behind glass ever. You're literally getting it right off the rocks that it's been drying on sometimes. So yeah, the freshness and, you know, we all think of like Italy as just pasta and it's really not. I mean, yes, there's a ton of pasta and every town has its own special little pasta. Like when you go um, down to Puglia, they're really famous for orecchietti. The, it looks like a little ear, like uh -huh. a little, you know, rolled up bit thing. Um, and they're all over and you, you get them from little old ladies, make them and sit and sell them by the bag full on the street but they literally just came out of their kitchen, you know, um, again, so that, that freshness thing. And yes, there's a lot of pasta, but there's also, they have incredible steaks in Italy, mm -hmm. um, you know, oddly. And, you know, I don't know, there's just a lot of other things. It's not just pasta. Um, I love panna cotta. And recently I've noticed in Italy, they're, they're changing up the panna cotta. Like I had some with pistachio and I had some with lemon and I, you know, like they're just adding new flavors to it that are also still very traditional. They're just putting them in something in a new way, which I love. And then French food. Oh, French food. I love it. But what I've learned in being, I've, I've been to France, I don't know, at least a dozen times, probably more. Mm -hmm. It's all very simple food. Like we think it because it tastes so elegant and it's so rich that it must have a lot. But when you start cooking it, it's just really simple. There's not a ton of ingredients. It's just you have really good ingredients. Um, and I think timing is a big thing in French cuisine. You know, it's interesting. The last time I went to France, I wanted the classical famous French cuisine. And it seems like they're getting further and further away from that. And they're doing more of the farm to table and more of the fresh stuff. But, you know, I was dying to get mussels and frites and, you know, cream sauces and, and yeah. all that. Just couldn't find it. It was so funny. Where were you? Well, in Paris at that time, That's just looking why. for the traditional old world stuff. Yeah. 
So I find you're you're very right um, in in Paris in particular. Um, sometimes you'll find those things in the really touristy places, but they're not very good. Um, but I find that like when you get off the beaten path a little bit, you'll find those things um, like Normandy. Oh my gosh. I love oysters from Normandy. I think they are my favorite in the entire world and you can get tons of fresh ones, but maybe, you know, not in like a big town, go to like the little fishing village, you know, that I find that you can still find all the traditional things from the different regions Mm -hmm. in small towns. So when you're in Normandy eating oysters, how are you eating them? Are you eating them raw? Are you eating them cooked or just whichever way they come? Oh, raw. (laughs) I mean, I would never, I, I will eat fried oysters or Rockefeller or whatever, you know, I'm fine with all of that. Um, but if they're, if they're Norman, if they're oysters from Normandy, I am eating them raw. Sometimes they put the, and I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, but the marionette sauce, the uh-huh. vinegar and whatnot, um, it's on the side. I don't even use that because their oysters are so sweet and cool and, oh, they're refreshing. I could just eat dozens. <laughs> and so while you're eating your dozens of oysters in Normandy, what are you drinking with it? Whatever white wine they tell me to have. I uh-huh. I am very okay with, especially in, in those wine producing countries, it, just to say, what do you recommend? And often it's, it's not even something big and fancy and expensive. It's just, you know, their house white because they they keep that as their house white because it goes with their main food, right? So. So do people ever suggest uh, champagne or something to go with the oysters or is it usually just a white wine for the most part? It's usually just a white wine. I don't Uh know that I've, um, I have had champagne with oysters, but I don't think I've ever had that in Normandy. I did have that actually in January. I went to Paris with a friend of mine, um, and we did, I asked and, and they gave me champagne and I couldn't even tell you what kind it was or anything. It was just what they told me went well. When you're shooting all these videos uh, with Mark for Walter's World, what other video channels are you shooting for as well for yourself? Um, we do Walter's World Eats. Um, I make Mark do most of the face stuff because I get real uncomfortable in front of a camera. Like I'm okay with this because I'm talking to you, but when I'm standing, you know, in Park Monceau and in Paris and I'm standing there talking to a camera, I feel like a buffoon. I just, I don't, I'm not comfortable. I'm getting better, but I like to do those things like inside where I don't have, you know, random people. I'm not comfortable with people like, standing there staring at me. Mark, Mark's a showman. He, he should be on stage. He can do that. I'm, I'm not very good at it. I know most of us regular humans are kind of self-conscious. We don't want people off camera looking at us while we're doing yeah. our thing, right? Yeah, it's very, it's very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> Besides Walter's World and Walter's World Eats, mm-hmm. is there another primary channel that you're doing now? No, um, I am trying to make like short videos for our shorts channel um, Mm -hmm. and also for my Instagram, just like, you know, when I was, so I went to France and then also we went to Italy, my friend and I in January, and I did a bunch like why you should travel with your kids. So I just took my top 10 things 
turned my phone on myself and just talked about those things. So like why you should travel with your kids, um, the don'ts of traveling with kids, like, you know, you don't, don't forget to take time off and take them to the park to play those kind of like little tidbits. You know, I was talking to Mark, he was on this show recently, mm-hmm. and I was talking to him a little bit about the marketing aspects of putting together your headlines and your thumbnails and so on like that. And I asked him about the way he entitles or the way that the two of you entitled the Walters World thumbnails, it would be the don'ts of so-and-so or such and such, or what to watch for the scams of this city or that city. And it seems quite ingenious in a, in a way. Do you guys collaborate on all of that? Um, he always asks me to come in and look at the thumbnails. I'm like, you have too much stuff on here. I can't read it. You know, um, so I think I do more with like the, the visual and creative stuff. I went to art school. So mm-hmm. that that's in the back of my head. And Mark went to business school. You know, he has a PhD in business and my degree is in architectural history and historic preservation. So BFA is like my, my brain works differently than his. So we collaborate on like different ends of it, I guess. Right. So one of you is the right brain. One of you is the left brain. And together you make a big brain. I hope so. Jocelyn, how has your feminine input and wife-like input helped the channel? Because I'm sure that you're always, like I mentioned a moment ago, probably collaborating on a lot of different elements of the finished product. So how do you think you've changed the overall quality? Well, I think that um, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, men and women look at the world very differently. Um, And as a woman, maybe sometimes I'm a little jaded about things like safety and being taken advantage of um, because, you know, the world's been ruled by the patriarchy for a really long time. And so I come at it from maybe a little bit different perspective and not that Mark isn't like paying attention to those things or trying to think about them. He just, I mean, he's a man and he doesn't experience things. We, we all experience things differently. Right. So I mm-hmm. try to, you know, I'm like, well, you know, you see it this way, but I see this and he's like, Oh wow. I get that. I never would have thought of that. You know, it's just, it's okay that we're different. That's it's, it's, you know, part of, part of life. I mean, it's, I think that's also something I've learned about travel is that, you know, all people have intrinsically, we all want our families um, nearby. We want love, we want friendship, we want health and safety and all those things. And the things where we see things differently like that are like beautiful. And that's what makes the world such an amazing place that those differences should be celebrated and to see things from someone else's perspective is like a really wonderful gift. Oh yeah. That sounds, that sounds great. I wanted to ask a little bit about how you guys are staying mentally healthy and physically healthy while you're traveling so much, because, you know, during that whole COVID thing that was (coughs) going on, so many of us just didn't move out of our house. We were just kind of twisting in the wind, waiting and looking at you guys on on YouTube and wondering <laughs> what's going on. And, and so how do you just remain sane in your head when life is doing what it's doing? Um, well, 
I'm a big reader. I, it's kind of my escapism. Can you tell? I have a lot of books. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and during COVID, I had never read romance novels before in my life. But I don't know, one got suggested on my Kindle. And I, I started like devouring these because, excuse the pun, it's unintentional, but they all had a happy ending, you know? <laughs> like. <they're interesting. laughs> I'm sure they they do. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like everybody, everything turned out great in the end. I could not take any books, like books were my escape, but I couldn't handle anything that was sad or miserable. I mean, I just, that was really hard for me, anything that was heavy. So for me, it was all about, you know, reading happy things. We played a lot of games um, with our kids. Like we played a lot of card games and things like that. Like just, I mean, even if it's just Uno, you know, um, yeah, that was, that was a, a thing for us. Just like spending time together. I don't, I don't know. I think that we all failed a lot during COVID like, um, and sometimes you kind of beat yourself up over how things worked out, but you know, none of us knew what was going on. Right. Um, right. Right. So it wasn't easy, but we also, I think um, a big thing that helped was that we on for much of the first, I don't know, six or eight months, at least we did two um, bi-weekly uh, lives on our YouTube channel. Right. Those are delightful. Yeah. Well, thank you. It kept us sane, but it also created this great community and we didn't create it. Um, the people who watched created it. We just gave them a platform, but what came out of that, there is this, a big group of people of our followers who've become friends, who travel together now, who, you know, like they may live in on different continents or, you know, across the country and they have become friends. And that you know, rekind or kindling those things was just fantastic for us. Um, and I'm glad we were able to give somebody that, that we were big enough that we could give people that place. We could attract enough people that they were able to, to start something themselves. It's so cool that you guys have been able to unite so many people through you, what you're doing. And it, it obviously looks like you really love what you guys are doing when you're out there. We do. I mean, it's, it's not always fun and games, right, <laughs> but right. we do. We love to travel. We love to meet new people. We love to, you know, spread the knowledge because mm -hmm. I really feel like the more we spend time with other people from other places, the more respect and, and goodness comes into the world. Right. So, you know, to be able to help others to like help facilitate, that's awesome, but it's not us doing it. We're just a platform you know, the people are doing it themselves, I think. Do you ever see a point where you just are going to be just so slammed busy with so many millions of followers that you won't be able to have the human engagement and do this kind of a thing very often? Nope. I can't imagine that. Great. I mean, <laughs> like I look at my, my travel hero is Joseph Rosendo. Um, mm -hmm. He's on PBS. And I just, I think that he is incredible. Um, I would imagine a lot more people know him than know us, you know, uh, and he's still doing it, you know, he's, right. he's off doing it and he's authentic. And that authenticity is something that we strive for. So, you know, if it means that 
while Mark is filming videos, people stop and or they're like, hey, Walter's World guy. And it and it happens, you know. I'm I'm grateful for those moments, you know. I yeah. think it's great to be able to connect with people. How has the architecture changed throughout the countries, let's just say Europe, for instance, over the past number of years, as far as the more modern stuff, because the older stuff I definitely want to talk about and get your, your feeling on that. But how do you see the new modern architecture coming up? Um, that's a really difficult question for me, mm -hmm. being that I, I studied the historic. Um, you know, I don't dislike it. A lot of people who study um, architectural history and things don't appreciate the the new stuff. But I look at all architecture as sort of like anthropological. It shows how we live and how we work. Like you can go into an old building and you can figure out how what was important in their lives or, you know, like. Um, in Chicago, there's this old office building that is now a hotel, but walking in there, you can see it. There's small offices with these doors that were glassed over and, you know, just how things work, even things as simple as mail shoots that we would never have now. Right. right. Yeah. But you walk into a new, a new shiny steel and glass, you know, that's talking about like our industry and how we have come up from like handmade things right and now we have this industrial stuff and we have these big airy spaces because we're in buildings a lot but we're trying to bring in the light and all of you know that airiness and there's plants and things and bright colors in in the artwork and and stuff like that so I see it as an explanation of how we live and how we work and how we play you know, that's a really good point, because I think that a lot of people who go to Europe, let's say for the first time, they have in their mind's eye these predetermined images that says mm -hmm. France is going to look like this and England is going to look like that or Holland is going to look like this. And then you do see these big glass and stainless structures, just like you're saying, very airy, very light. And it is completely different from the old charm of the old world, right? It is. And as long as we keep some of that old world charm, I'm cool with it. Don't tear down yeah. the old stuff. Right. Um, you know, the greenest building ever built is, is one that's already been built. So that's an important thing to me. You know, that's a good reason to keep things and, and to rehab them rather than tear them down, put all of that into a landfill and then build, build something new. Um, but I'm not against building new things, even right next to something that's old. Like, um, I can tell you like, um, for instance, in Savannah, there was, um, a house that had to be torn down on Jones street. Jones is probably the most iconic residential street in downtown Savannah in historic district. And, um, this house on a corner had to be torn down because it was just, there, there was no fixing it. And this was quite some time ago that this happened. Then the people that built there, built a very modern house, but, and, and I love that they, it was modern. They're not trying to mimic the old, you know, they're not trying to, to fake it, but they built it in the same proportion as the older homes. So although it was very like mid-century, very plain and austere, the colors, the, the perforations, like the door and the windows and things matched what was going on around it. 
but with a very different look. I like the juxtaposition. I think that it's a beautiful thing, but I think that um, in historic settings, we should try to do things like that where we're not like dwarfing the old thing, you know, um, like a lot of buildings, I, it would be silly to draw, to build a skyscraper next to that, you know, like all this, the buildings are like maybe three stories. You don't want a seven story building next to that. That would look out of place and it would detract from the overall, right? A couple moments ago, you were mentioning the greenest building in the world. Which one is that? Is that in Singapore? <laughs> no, the greenest building is one that's already been built. Uh huh. It's just anyone, like anyone. any building that's oh, already done. Okay. It's, it's a preservation thing. We all say things like that. I guess that probably doesn't translate well to people who don't study preservation, but just the idea is that, you know, if it's already done, then you're not pillaging the earth for more stuff to build something new, right? Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. have background in city planning as well as the architecture and the art? No. Um, I, of course, to get my degree, I had to study some city planning. And we certainly yeah. look at the historic fabric of a place um, when we're studying individual buildings, because most are, you know, there is other stuff around. So, but not planning, more just like what's already there. Mm-hmm. Do you find it strange that over the past 10 or 20 years, we went from a society that hardly ever had their phones in their hands slash cameras <laughs> to now a society is constantly walking around with selfie sticks and doing on-camera stuff? I mean, we really went from like one extreme to another. Now people can hardly sit down across from each other face to face like you and I are without playing on their device. Isn't it a wild world? I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, we've taken the humanity out of, out of being social, you know, yes, we're all connected and we have this social media is like, it's endemic, right? Like it's everywhere all of the time. Um, but we're also, we're losing that human factor, I think in that, you know, um, and I kind of, I just kind of disgust me sometimes, you know, when I sit down somewhere and I see a family, like for instance, you know, we're in, I don't know, wherever we're in El Salvador uh -huh. and there's this other American family and they're all sitting to eat. And rather than like eating the food and relishing it and talking to their family about it or the things they saw that day or whatever, they're all like this and taking pictures of the food. The food looks amazing. Great. But like, oh, I just want you to sit and savor it, you know, and talk about it with your family and talk about the things you did. Um, we often try to just swipe our kids' devices for long periods of time. Um, we used to be really good about having, you know, a 28-day rehab of, from mm -hmm. electronics. And we just, we still had to have ours, but we kind of made it like only during working hours when we would have our phones or our computers. We've been really lax in that lately. Um, <laughs> I hate to say yeah. that, but... It, it was always really good. But I tell you what, the first week was rough on everybody, you know? Right. Well, it's like lopping off a limb from your body because we're connected to the device. Now it's almost like a part of us. Yeah. It's really nice though. After the first few days when you're, you're, there's freedom in it. It's kind of awesome. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so wild to, to go to a, a nice restaurant or even just a fast food place and just see two people sitting across from each other doing texting to someone else and, and they're just, 
they're just feeding, they're feeding their face. There's like no thought, there's no mindfulness, and they're trying to connect with others. So they're not present for me or you. And it just seems like that's a breakdown. That's not the grand promise was to bring us together. And it just seems like everybody is further apart. Yeah, you're connected to so many people, but those connections are just wispy, you know, they're just Mm -hmm. thin and wispy and um, rather than a good, strong tie to somebody. We should make a DMZ, so to speak, of, of cell phones, like never to be at the table and to sit and savor the moment and enjoy the people that we're with and take care of that relationship before worrying about all those people on the periphery. Yeah, we definitely have that rule at our at our table. There is never a phone at the table unless like in our conversation, we need to look something up. You know, we do. We actually do employ Google occasionally at the dinner table, but generally Uh speaking, only so that we can facilitate the conversation. Right. Like we might have to look up a statistic or something and then it goes away and we continue the conversation. Right, right. Now, I asked earlier about health. How do you guys stay healthy when you're on the road? Because travel is really, really difficult on the body. And then, of course, eating the right kinds of foods and, and being able to get your meds and all that. How do you kind of inter, interweave all of that? Okay, well, hang on. You bet. <laughs> I understand. We drink a lot of water. Good. Um, uh So I think that partially we, knock on wood, um, Mm -hmm. we don't get sick very often. And I think it's because we've encountered germs all over the world. Right. High immune system. Yeah. I think our immune systems um, are just so used to encountering new things that that actually helps us. And that's not everyone can do that. Right. But I think that that's, it's definitely a thing. Um, I, uh, when we get on a plane, I wipe the the tray table and the armrests. Um, that's like one of the first things I do. I, and I even wipe the the little thing on the seatbelt, you know, like oh, yeah. whatever you have to touch the screen, you know, I just real quick with an antibacterial wipe, um, washing your hands. And sometimes you're not able to. So I do have like hand sanitizer. So um, I just, I firmly believe that washing your hands is probably the best thing. My mother is a nurse and one of her, um, one of her specialties was infection control. So um, I grew up in a house where washing your hands was constant. And, and I think that we do that a lot. Um, I think that we eat, particularly when we're on the road, we probably eat better on the road than we do at home. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, well, partially because someone else is cooking it. So there's always time yeah. to sit down. Right. You know, it's not that we have, I have to cook for an hour and a half or Mark's cooking for an hour and a half. And then we take an hour to eat, you know, it's just an hour and that's kind of great. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that we eat better because it's not as much of a process sometimes. Right. Less um, uh, shopping, less <laughs> schlepping, <laughs> less <yes>. cooking. <laughs> yes. Um, right. So, and then, um, you, you mentioned medicines. So I take with me, um, I have like a little kit and it has little tiny containers and I might have like, I have Pepto-Bismol. I have charcoal because charcoal pills like are good for a lot of things in the GI tract. Um, Uh um, I take Benadryl, you know, just like basic things, some Pepto Mm -hmm. chewables, you know, whatever. Just uh, an emodium. Never leave the house on a trip without emodium. Okay. 
and I saved us once or twice. I bet. Um, you know, and I always like, I make sure I have just really basics, not a ton of any of it, but just very basic things with us, um, just in case. And, you know, I rarely have to use any of it, but it's there if we need it. You know, those are good tips to have because most of the issues that I've heard that people have and I've experienced personally is definitely GI related, something food related. There's yeah. a lot of foodborne illness out there, isn't there? Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, we were actually in Brazil two weeks ago and we had, uh, we ate like three dozen oysters between four of us, uh, <laughs> but I put one in my mouth. I bit down and I was like, I knew immediately it was bad, right? I oh, mean, yeah. out of three dozen oysters, one being bad isn't, so, you know, it's not bad odds really. Um, but I immediately, I just got a napkin and I took it out. Um, and I think that that's important. Just pay attention to how things taste. Right. And, you know, when you're in out of the way places where you can't drink the water and you're not like on a resort or something, um, you need to be careful about eating raw foods mm-hmm. um, because, you know, like fruits and vegetables, salads, things like that get right. washed in yep. that water that you're not able to drink. Um, so I think that that's um, kind of important. Just make sure that you're eating cooked food sometimes when you're, you know, really off the beaten path. I, right. I try to make sure we're all eating cooked foods. Cooked food, I guess, bottled Beer, bottled water, and bottled uh, water, bottled yeah. soda. Um, I do have um, this little pen that cleans water. Should be oh yeah. Um, and I do take that like when we're hiking through like really rural places, and mm-hmm. like we spent um, I don't know several days in a cloud forest in Ecuador, and when I say rural they had running water at this place, but not much. Right. Right. Like a lot of water was used. It was, it was just caught rainwater, which is probably cleaner than anything, but it's coming off the trees and, you know, you don't really know what's coming through that. So I had that in case we needed it, they had ample, um, bottled water, but also getting bottled water up to that place way high up in the mountains was, was probably difficult. So I felt like if I can supplement that by having cleaning our own water, then that's a good thing. Yeah, that makes sense. I I think those life straws are really important to travel Mm -hmm. with. If you're going to be going to any areas that might be a little bit sketchy. Yeah. And we've definitely traveled to a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) I can see. An avid watcher of you guys. So I know that now, if we swing back home for a minute, mm-hmm. who would you rather have in the kitchen, you or Mark? Me. Oh, <laughs> wow. Without a doubt, that took you like no time at all. <laughs> no, there is no thought to that. I mean, Mark's not a bad cook. He's just, I, I think he was a better cook before we got married. And mm-hmm. then I really enjoy cooking and it's just like part of my DNA. So I've always just cooked and I think I spoiled him a little and he just doesn't cook very often now. So in your kitchen, Jocelyn, are you buying whole spices, roasting them, grinding them, doing that kind of level of cooking, or are you experimenting with other kinds of ingredients and dishes and flavors? Or what is Jocelyn like in her kitchen? I do not grind my own spices unless they're things I've I've brought from somewhere and I do have a spice problem. Um, I buy spices on almost every trip. 
I bring mm-hmm. something home. I mean, and it may not be anything fancy. Like uh, when we go to Europe, it, it's very difficult in America to find these little packets of dry vanilla. It's like vanilla powder. Yeah. Um, it's And it's great for baking. Like you're not adding another liquid to things sometimes that uh-huh. makes a difference. Right. Um, my yaya, my, my grandmother, every time anyone went to Europe, she's like, can you bring me back some packets of vanilla powder? You know, oh, sometimes wow. it's something just that simple. And other times um, there are these weird random things that I can't even translate to an English, you know, or I've now I've even forgotten the name of some of them, but I know what they smell like and I know what they taste like. And so I'll throw them into my cooking, you know? So you're like an artist in your kitchen, very improv kind of style, but you know in advance what you're going to be putting together? Usually. I mean, sometimes it's completely fly by the seat of your pants, but, you know, uh-huh. I find that your nose leads you the right, the right direction, right? And I'm constantly tasting things like when I'm making sauces or whatever. I, I might go through 50 spoons in a dinner, you know, if I'm if I'm being really reckless in there and just, you know, playing. Um, and Mark's a good taster. I'm constantly like, here, what, what does this need? You know, does it need more salt? Should put some lemon in that, you know? Oh, that is and so I much have, fun. I'm, I can look into my kitchen. I have cookbooks from all over the world. Oh, um, wow. That's something that it's sometimes really hard to find them in English. When we were in Brazil, Mark's Brazilian dad gave me um, his, his wife just passed away during COVID. Um, and he gave me her favorite cookbook, which brought me sort of to tears. And it's an amazing yeah. cookbook. It's all in Portuguese, which I know enough of to usually get by, but occasionally there are things in there that I still have to use translate, you know, um, foods are sometimes a difficult translation. So, you know, just Google Translate and, and a great cookbook from somewhere is a fun way to to get going in the kitchen, I think. So you just uh, touched on something that is very interesting to me and probably a lot of other people are, are those of you who are polyglots who speak several languages. So how many do you speak? Oh, Lord, I am not a polyglot. <laughs> Mark certainly is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mark speaks quite well and he picks things up. It's, you know, it's just his God-given gift. You know, we all got something and that's his. Um, I, I can be a very polite tourist in several languages. I can, you know, at the very least, I can go in somewhere in, in France and say, je n'ai pas pas français, je suis idiot. You know, I'm, I don't speak French. I'm an idiot, you know. Um, very impressive. It, it makes people laugh and they're yeah. like, okay, how can I help you? You know, um, but just uh, we all try to get at least the basics of please and thank you, you know, those things. And then basic verbs um, and mm-hmm. nouns. And once you get that fairly well for like, Portuguese. It's easy to jump off and figure those out in Italian or um, or Spanish. You know, like I understand a lot of Spanish, but I think it's because we lived in Portugal. You know, and, and oh right, it's similar enough that I can deduce what it is. I also thank the nuns because when I was a kid, we were taught uh, Latin and Greek roots. I went to Catholic school, so I learned those things, and it's paying off now. So. Right. It's giving you a little bit of a foundation for to be able to jump around and understand language a little bit better. 
Yeah, it's very helpful. And then I have Mark who, you know, speaks a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that he uh, he definitely has a feel for language, doesn't he? He does. It's definitely a gift. Jocelyn, without getting too cheeky, from a romantic point of view, isn't it kind of cool to say, yeah, we we did it in 80 countries? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I thought you say that. We laugh about that sometimes, you know, uh -huh. like, <clears throat> yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Right. Like we got to we got to revisit such and such a city because we, you know, we yeah, didn't consummate. You know, I mean, the kids were up and sick all night that night. You know? right. So maybe we need to get back there. Uh, you know? That's funny. That is so funny. I, I was meaning to ask you that. I didn't know the right way to put it. All right. You did. Oh, gosh. Tell everybody where we can get a hold of you, where we can watch you and watch you and Mark and watch anything that you're doing as far as your social. So my social, I'm really just on Instagram at Jocelyn Walters World. Um, and then I also have Simply Jocelyn on Facebook. And that sort of started from the food stuff, like the Walters World Eats things. Um, generally speaking, I'm just um, uploading a lot of stuff like I do on Instagram. It's just another you know, vehicle, because some people don't like different platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, we're at Walter's World on YouTube. Um, actually, all the social media has Walter's World. And then um, we have Walter's World Eats and Walter's World Shorts, if you're like into the quickies. Um, and I know a lot of people like- Speaking of romance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no pun intended, but um, there it is. Right. So right. Um, the shorts, the quickies are uh, a lot of people don't expect that from us. They like our long 15 minute videos, like, you know, 10 things to look at country X, right? Well, we're just going to break those 10 things up into individual things and put them on the shorts channel um, just to make it easier for people. And then Mark also has Professor Walters, which is, you know, his business side of things. And right. Uh, if you want to learn about marketing, but also about how to YouTube, like how to do social media marketing and all that kind of stuff. That's, um, that's there. So. Wow. What's your favorite season? My favorite season is summer. I do summer? really like spring is a very close second, like they're neck and neck, but I'll say summer first. Huh. Have you ever been able to use super glue more than one time? from the same jar or bottle? Yeah. So <laughs> tell me how you do that. There's this thing and it had like, I don't know, it had like a built-in wiper and it was from, I think it was Gorilla Glue that I got and it has a built-in wiper thing. And that's what I used to glue the felt on the bottom of the chairs. You know, you have to have those little whatever and they never stay on. So I super glue them on, but it had like a wipey thing. Very valuable stuff. You see, you can learn from these podcasts. Absolutely. <laughs> For what in life do you feel most thankful? Oh, my family. I mean, and not just my husband and my kids. I mean, my nuclear family is first, but, you know, my parents and Mark's parents and um, my sisters, like, they've made me who I am. Wow. What's one of your favorite cheat treats? Oh, um, Reese's peanut butter eggs. Oh, are those only available around Easter? 
Yeah. And Mark buys me enough of them, like toward the end, like right about now, he'll start stockpiling them and I'll have Mm -hmm. them until about September, October. I just like, you know, I, I ration them, but I eat those pretty much all year. Isn't it amazing just how magical the combination of peanut butter and chocolate is? And it has been forever. Candy bars with those ingredients always seem to do the best. Nutty bars would be my second thing too. Oh, okay. And I think they changed their name. They used to be Nutty Buddies, maybe. You know, the Little Debbie Snacks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever tried the Trader Joe's dark chocolate peanut butter cups? No, I haven't. Oh, my gosh. Do you have a Trader Joe's anywhere nearby? Um, It's about two hours away. <laughs> okay, well, next time you're near one, pick, pick those up. Those are pretty fantastic. I'll let you know how they are. Yeah, good. Okay, and what did you say was for dinner tonight? I don't know. I mean, it's probably going to be a little bit of a fend for yourself night. I was looking, so it's Lent and, um, Oh yeah. That means you have to give up all the things you like. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, well, we're supposed to be taking up our cross. That's what that's about. Um, (laughs) um, as a Greek Orthodox, I'm not supposed to be eating meat. And I kind of goofed today because I got that carne seca. It was, it wasn't like carne seca, like a meal. It was like, um, beef jerky. Mm-hmm. And I got some because I was at the hardware store and it was right there. And I just, I had just been to the gym. So I'm just sitting there and I'm eating it and I'm like, oh, this is meat. So I'm having this feeling that I'm probably just going to eat some of these really great corn noodles that I get that are Italian. And it's just going to be noodles and like maybe some oil on them and some spices. Wow. So it's noodle made from corn flour? Yeah. It's wow. really, they're really good. La Veneziane. It's a really great brand and they have all different kinds. Um, so not like everything, but I can get like um, capellini and spaghetti and fettuccine and elbows. Um, there's just a lot. So yeah. So between sweet or savory or spicy, could you identify which of those three you would like most? Savory. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely a savory kind of chick. (laughs) Okay, very good. Well, on that, Jocelyn Walters, I want to thank you so much for joining me on 50 Tastes of Grey. I'd love to do it again soon. Well, it was great. Thank you for having me. What's your next destination before we say aloha? Oh, I don't even know. I I guess the next big trip, um, we are going to Israel, Jordan, and Greece. Nice. Yeah, I guess you're going to be hitting a million visitors, a million subscribers to Walter's World very soon. Where do you think you'll be? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to guess we'll probably be in Greece when that happens. But I'm not as good at predicting numbers as my husband is. So I don't know if you pose that question to him in his interview. It's probably a more accurate answer. We did cover that. And we I, I thought that it would be you guys would be in the promised land in Israel when you hit 1 million. But he did mention Greece, Greece and or Israel is what he was saying. But I'm thinking Israel, I don't know why. Well, I think that would be pretty amazing. I'd be happy with that. We'll be plugged in. All of us will be watching Walter's World to see what you guys are up to. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Jocelyn. Okay. Bye-bye. Aloha.